This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by Timberline Sport and Convenience, Pepsi and I Bottling, Bonded Lock and Key, and DS Beverages. Well, today on Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, we're checking in with John Williams. He's the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager here in Bemidji and the uh, entire Northwest region. And, John, I talk with Henry about this all the time, but uh, I always forget how big of an area is the Northwest region. Well, it's pretty big. You can think of it as a quarter of the state, but it's a healthy quarter, I would say. It goes all the way down towards the uh, uh, Glenwood area, you know, all the way up to the Canadian border and then from the Red River to just the other side of Cass Lake. So, uh, or Leech Lake, I'm sorry, not Cass, but Leech. And uh, uh, it's a it's a sizable area, uh, you know, in terms of uh, public land. Even just wildlife management areas alone, it's about 830,000 acres of WMA lands. And, of course, within that, we have a lot of state forest as well, too. Oh, absolutely. And just Parks and trails. And just one, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful area to be in. There's so many options, and, and we're going to talk about a lot of those hunting-type options today. I want to go back to spring. Uh, I think we talked turkey a little bit, literally talked turkey, uh, last spring as the season was getting underway and kind of previewing it. Uh, I, I do know, as we were off the air, that uh, that you noted, like the fishing season, we saw numbers way up for hunting this year, at least on the turkey side. Definitely uh, numbers were up considerably in terms of license sales, and the harvest was uh, up about 33%. So, We've um, we've seen quite a, a good a good uh, response to turkey season this year. If I'm not mistaken, it was something like over fifty thousand licenses sold, I believe, and uh, you know that's an that's an awful lot. Um, uh, it's a good amount, and and uh, you know turkey has been one of the great success stories of uh, reintroduction in the state. Been very good, and you know when you look at the actual range of turkeys, what it originally was and what it is today, um, you know it's been expanded many times over what was just here pre-settlement. Well, I know certainly COVID nineteen had a lot to do with it, but but as you noted, turkey was something we were seeing an exploding number of of, of hunters taking part in anyway, as those numbers grew real strong here in Northwest Minnesota. Absolutely, you know we. Um, we have good turkey numbers all the way up to the Canadian border. And, in fact, Canada's probably benefiting from it as well. But, uh, yeah, and, and uh, I would have to say that, you know, uh, the opportunity to hunt turkeys further north has probably um, gathered a few more hunters because people seeing the flocks run around and not hard to do that as you travel around. It probably strikes your mind, well, this might be a, a good Thanksgiving dinner I could take take advantage of. So. You know that's um, that's something that um, uh, it's just a traditional thing and and uh, an opportunity that just wasn't present before. So it's very been very good, very accepted. Obviously, we don't hunt eagles, but it, it's kind of like that the the story of the eagles. You know, there was a time you wouldn't see an eagle anywhere anymore, and now uh, I you barely go a day without seeing many. Uh, and we're seeing that kind of growth with the turkeys up here, that uh, population growth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, eagles. Eagles are a, a good example of that. And of course, you know, we get so common about seeing eagles, we hardly notice them. You know, uh, <laughs> right. to a degree. Uh, and you you get a, a you know a visiting relative or a friend that comes up from the south or uh, someplace around. You know, that, that they don't have them. It, it strikes them very quickly from that. And you know, I can mention another species that's around too that uh, you know at one time you didn't see a lot of, but now you do, and that's swans. You know, our trumpeter swan population has just been growing leaps and bounds ever since they were reintroduced 
you know, several years ago. Yeah, we, we really do have a lot of success stories. Uh, on the turkey side, uh, as you noted, the licenses were up, the, uh, the hunting was up, numbers were up. Overall populations, are those still looking very strong? Very strong, yes, um, very strong. In fact, you know, we do talk about, uh, and, and maybe you've seen that uh, more recently, some of the more liberalized uh, regulations we've had on them uh, this year. And, you know, uh, every now and then there's a suggestion, well, why don't you raise the limit to two turkeys? And, and uh, you know, that is being bounced around. We haven't made any decisions on that yet, but uh, the more liberal uh, seasons are, are coming and, and uh, the need to restrict, you know, uh, access and use, you know, by license seasons. Well, we've done, lump, we've done a little bit of relaxing that, and that's worked out very well. Okay. Um, about how many years have we had a turkey hunting season up here? In the Northwest? Yeah, in the Northwest. Well, uh, I can tell you when I was up in Thief River Falls, uh, about 2004, there was some really serious push locally that, um, that was being done. And, you know, eventually Senator Stump actually got involved with that, you know, our local senator up there as well. And there was some discussion about this. I know both in St. Paul and both uh, uh, up in the Northwest and to be frank, you know, some of our wildlife managers, and I was one of them, was kind of, do we want turkey up here or not? You know, is that something that would actually take uh, place um, that uh, would be a viable uh, species to have, or would it be a problem species to have? And so there was some concerns about that, and we worked through a lot of that. There were some uh, turkey producers up there that were concerned about introducing wild turkeys on the landscape. So about 2005, a lot of those questions got answered, and we decided, okay, we will have a, a turkey release program, and that actually happened in 2006. Um, and that was about the same time that uh, some of the turkey uh, stocking down around the Bagley area occurred. I think that was more 2006, 2007, if I'm, if I'm right about that. Um, the, uh, the situation in the Northwest, we had two particular cover types we were looking to, and because they were travel corridors, uh, we specifically focused on river systems and beach ridges. And the river systems, you can understand, you know, long linear areas that uh, have contiguous habitat. But in the far northwest, you have those Agassiz beach ridges uh, from the old lake. And they were largely oak uh, covered and, and pretty intact in some of the areas. And they would give turkeys, uh, you know, the same feature of being able to, to move along the landscape and expand. So um, just as an example, um, the farm that uh, I had up in Viking, the release site was 10 miles to the south of that area. And it was about a year and a half I had turkeys on my farm. And it's just mm-hmm. like, wow, you know, these they have really taken off in this. And, you know, it wasn't very long before people were saying, we're seeing a lot of turkeys and people were getting interested in hunting. And, um, you know, we haven't had the... Uh, we do have, have, have had some depredation concerns, but uh, in general, I don't think we've had a a serious problem uh, with them overall, and uh, where we have had issues, we've dealt with it, and so far we've we've done pretty good. And I believe it's been, as you said, one of the more success stories that we've had in uh, in our time. I know. I think we talked in the past that that one of the concerns was snow depth and things of that nature. Could they handle northern Minnesota? Right. That has not been a problem. No, you know that we used to think that. Uh, any snow depth that was on an average 14 inches or greater during the season would be the line that they would basically be restricted to because they couldn't uh, dig down to that. But we have found that uh, uh, they've been quite adaptable. Um, 
they can go in places where it's it's much more deeper than that. And they've been utilizing like like grouse do the the buds on aspen trees. They they they're not shy about coming to a bird feeder and taking a uh, taking a dinner there and other other means that are around as well. Railroad tracks, you know, where trains have come along and you know there's always wheat spillage along the track. They'll pick that right up and and um, they've been quite adaptable. Okay, now. We're in the midst of bear season. What have we heard so far? I would say we're in an outstandingly uh, good season for bear hunting. Uh, right now, our total harvest is uh, 2,854 as of our last count that came out Monday. That's about a 38% increase over where we were at last year. We are on track now to probably hit a 3,000 uh, or 3,000 plus uh, harvest level for bear. So it's been pretty good. Um, the, um, situation usually when it gets that high is when you have, uh, variances in food availability. And I know in uh, many places we've had spotty acorns, uh, throughout the season. And that's a pretty big indicator that, you know, we could be looking at a, a good bear season coming up simply because bear are going to be searching a little bit more and they're a little more vulnerable to being baited in, uh, which is typical for bear hunting. At the same time, there's been a lot of uh, areas where there's the soft mass, the choke cherries, the cranberries, the hawthorn, uh, those have kind of compensated for the, the acorn shortage. And uh, between the two of them, you know, if hunters uh, paying attention to where um, those exist in abundance or in scarcity, I think hunters have been able to do pretty good. Had a note from our uh, Crookston office that uh, they've been noticing quite a uh, good number of bear hunters and success in that area as well. So. But the whole state, uh, whole state in general, as well as the no quota zone, which is further west um, in this area, uh, done very well this year. Okay, and uh, I, I know you know um, in fisheries they go out and they do the netting and they do electrofishing things like that to get population estimates. How do you in wildlife determine populations? Well, there's a number of ways. Uh, everything from a direct count, you know, uh, over a trend, let's just say for, uh, all for waterfowl or something like that. We can do counts in a particular area and each year note the number that we estimate is there and you can form that over a trend. One of the things that we're doing on deer right now is we're trying to do a, a ground sampling, um, uh, survey as opposed to our flights, our survey flights, just because of the expense of the flights and, um, they're not, um, they're not really good for places where there's a lot of pine cover. So we're doing basically a, a route on the ground where you look and you count the number of deer and you estimate the distance the deer is from the road. And you try to do just an area estimate of number of deer per square mile and um, just a number of ways like that. You know, now that you mention it, there's a, there is a, a new survey that is uh, being implemented. It's called a, a hunter observation survey, and it's basically mailed uh, to deer hunters. And we're asking deer hunters that if they would, if they're interested, to keep track of the number of deer they've seen. And, you know, they can expand that if they want to, to, to talk about the turkeys they've seen or the grouse or any other feature like that. And then they can report that, you know, at the end of the season. It's sort of a citizen science type survey that, you know, we're looking in to establish a trend. So, you know, um, you look at just where, where we were at in past years and the average of that and what you're reporting this year gives you a pretty good sense of where things are at. How do you get involved you know, in that? The other, thing, the other thing, Kevin, I think that, that I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention it. Our area wildlife staff also, you know, they're out in the field daily. They're observing themselves. 
they get a they get a good gut feel for where things are at, and some of them actually take the time to uh, do the recording and, and work on it just a little bit more. But uh, our area staff, I depend on them, and as as do every uh, our department, basically to have a good pulse upon things. And I think that comes from their daily activities in the field that give them that firsthand knowledge. If somebody wants to take part in that survey you were talking about, uh, do they just go ahead and do that? Is there a form they fill out? How do you get involved in that? My understanding, I've only seen a news release on it that they said they were going to expand it. Originally, it was given to just archery hunters. I think it's going to be expanded to all deer hunters. I don't have the, the full details in that, Kevin. I think that there may be a mailing that uh, may be sent out about that. I might have to find out about that. So okay, uh, get back to you on it. So, so maybe a mailing sent out to people who bought licenses. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we, we uh, back to the bear for a moment. Uh, great harvest. It sounds like good harvest is underway. Uh, and uh, can you determine uh, based on the harvest or some of those other things we just talked about, the overall population's good too? Oh, I think so. You know, we have been trying to, uh, in general, raise the population over some current levels. We do have populations at certain areas that are dense enough that they're causing problems that bear can do. But uh, in general, we are trying to, to get up to a more uh, higher statewide population. I, I think something in the neighborhood of, you know, that ten to 15,000 range is probably where we're at. I don't know exactly what our current estimate is for, for the number of bear in there, but uh, the general trend is that. And, you know, when we have heavy harvest years like this, uh, you know, you have to play with the, uh, the situation. Well, you may have one year where there's a good harvest, and then there's another year where there's very light harvest, and we certainly had uh, those in recent years as well. Now, you know, when we, when we talk fishing, we talk a lot of times catch and release. We have slot limits, things like that. Is there a – I know there's no limit uh, as far as size goes, but is there an ideal size you'd like to see, uh, you know, bear hunters or deer hunters or whoever uh, keep? Oh, I don't – you know, a lot of that's personal preference, I would say. Okay. Um, you know, I would say an average bear, you know, is, is, is going to be between that – 150, 200, uh, maybe a little over that range and stuff like that. You start, you start getting up into that 250 to 300, and you, you begin to kind of raise your eyebrows and say, that's a nice bear. And, of course, more <laughs> bigger than that really is, is a wow feature, you know. But I would say the average bear is, you know, within that, that more moderate range of, a, you know, around 200 pounds or less than something like that. And I suppose as, as people are only taking one, uh, whether it be a deer or a bear, that type of thing, that uh, that changes the the dynamics of fishing, where you can take several more than that. Uh, you know, generally the 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 sense. You know, I mentioned that on turkey in terms of uh, just taking one right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think I don't recall. It does seem. To, I'm trying to think if I remember one time where there was some discussion about taking two bear, but okay. for the most part, I think it's been one. There's been some discussion about, um, you know, at times to have it earlier open than September 1st so you could beat the acorn drop, but um, that was only done, I think, one year or so, and we went back to September 1st again. So there's there's always options. We try to listen to what people are, are hearing and saying, and you balance that with uh, the number of comments that you see for or against a certain issue or opportunity and that's part of the job you know (laughs) yeah absolutely john williams is the northwest regional wildlife manager for the minnesota dnr we have a ton more to cover with john but up next big fishing tournament coming up next weekend kind of known as the last hurrah here in these parts we'll talk with steve Ballou about the annual cystic fibrosis walleye classic 
This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Welcome back to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. Well, it's that time of year to talk about the uh, annual uh, Cystic Fibrosis Walleye Classic. It's the 19th annual. Once again, Steve Ballou joining me. Steve, thanks for taking some time to talk about it today. Not a problem. So you've been involved in this all 19 years. You got it started um, back in the day. Why don't you just give us a quick rundown of the history of the event? Well, we moved up to the area from Sioux Falls, uh, started running a resort on Tans and joined the chamber. And one of the gals on the chamber happened to have a son with cystic fibrosis. Well, I had two kids with cystic fibrosis, one that had passed away when he was 17. So I wanted to do something to generate some money to help with research and eventually find a cure for the disease. So we started that. 19 years ago now, uh, I believe our first tournament was about 24 or 25 boats, uh, and we grew from there. We've been all the way up to uh, 67 boats, I believe, was our, our highest entries that we've had in the past. So it grew, and the, uh, the response to our having this tournament has just been tremendous. So we, I get phone calls every year about August start of September, wondering, uh, make sure that we're going to have the tournament again. They love fishing it. It's the last one of the season, uh, so they're just uh, very supportive. And, of course, it is coming up October 3rd, uh, Saturday, and, uh, boy, if the weather holds out like it has been lately, uh, that'll be a wonderful day to do some fishing. Oh, it'll be great for a change. Uh, <laughs> the last two years, we've had some nasty weather and a little bit of rain, and but the guys just don't seem to mind it. They're, they're troopers. They come out every year for the event just for the cause well as you noted you owned a resort for many years and that was the headquarters for many years but uh, now that you're out of the resort business uh, this will be the second year at a new lo- new location correct uh, this will actually be our third year, oh, third year. at uh, stony okay. point uh jim boley that uh, fishes the tournament with us since the onset i believe he's only missed one tournament uh, of all the 18 that we've had in the past and he made the offer right away when he heard that I was leaving the resort business to host it out of Stony Point Resort. So we're very happy to be there. It works great. Very easy to find. Just off Highway 2, you can't miss it. Correct. Yeah, we'll be uh, set up there on Friday night already, uh, getting things ready. And then the tournament runs out of there uh, all day Saturday on the 3rd. Now, we are uh, in the COVID era, so that means uh, everybody's got to make some adjustments. And I'm assuming your tournament is no different. Yep, yeah, we... Uh, Normally have a banquet and dinner along with a live auction on Friday night prior to the tournament. We are not doing that this year. Uh, we're only having the tournament on Saturday, so there is no dinner, there is no banquet. Uh, along with that, we are practicing social distancing. We are having the boats go out in flights and return in flights, and when the guys weigh their fish, they return back to their boat with their fish, put them back in the live well, let water run on them, have them maintain their distance and stay in their boats until we're all done with the weigh-in, and then we'll announce the winners at that time. Um, you got 30 uh, boats lined up right now, and if people want to get involved in this and haven't done it yet, how do they do that? They can uh, go to M&D Pond in Cass Lake and register there, or they can go online to the website Cystic Fibrosis Walleye Classic, and they can register there and actually pay their entry fee there, and we'll get them lined up for it. 
Well, we've uh, talked about this uh, most times we've done this interview, but uh, there's always new people and uh, people who haven't heard of the tournament before. Uh, you have you you have uh, had two children who with cystic fibrosis. Um, tell us a little bit about cystic fibrosis and the challenges that means for a, for an entire family, really. Pretty much for a, a short definition of it, it would be like a severe pneumonia that affects the lungs. Along with that, it also affects the digestive system where you don't digest the food like normal kids would. Uh, I've lost a son at 17 to the disease when we were living down in Sioux Falls. Uh, my daughter is now 33 and doing well living in Sioux Falls with her husband uh, and two dogs. So things have changed over the years since we started this event. There wasn't much hope as far as a cure but we're getting closer and closer uh, to a cure. There's a new drug that's been out now for about a year called Trichafta, and my daughter started on that. Well, it had been about last December, and unbelievable the changes in her lung function and the way she feels and things that have just changed since she started on that drug. However, there's only about 95% of the individuals with cystic fibrosis that that new medication has an effect. We still have that 5% of people with cystic fibrosis that that drug does not uh, work for them. So we're still, you know, promoting, we're trying to raise money for more research to eventually have a cure and get rid of this thing totally. It is uh, obviously a challenge. Um, and as we know, research for anything, there's a lot of research going on for a number of medical issues uh, in 2020, of course. Uh, it requires people, it requires brains, and it requires a ton of money. Exactly. Um, Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is one of them that is not government-funded. Uh, there's not government funding for research, so it's all done through private donations and grants if they can find something to, to have that under. But all over the United States, that's why you see a CF walk, uh, strides for life uh, during the May, June, July uh, all of it to raise money going to research. And as you noted, uh, it's been a lot of changes and a lot of improvements. Your daughter is in her 30s now. You lost a son at age 17. Um, it, it, so that's all very heartening, and, and that shows we're moving in the right direction. Um, off the top of your head, because I know you've obviously been involved in this, what are some of the real – you just mentioned the new medication, but what are some of the other big changes that have occurred to help progress uh, towards a cure? There are a lot of other medications besides the one that just came out. As far as treatments are concerned, uh, my daughter still does three treatments a day that take about 45 minutes to an hour for each treatment. Um, back in the day with my son, we used to, by hand, do chest percussions where we actually would, would beat, cup our hands and beat on his chest and his back to try to loosen up the mucus in the lungs. Well, now uh, the newest thing that's out, is my daughter puts on a vest, uh, kind of like a life jacket, and it has its own compact power system on battery that actually shakes her that dislodges the mucus in her lungs. So she can go portable. She can go out in the backyard. She can throw the ball to the dogs. She can sit at the piano and play piano or whatever while she's doing a treatment. So just that part of it is is a lot more uh, effective than the old days with uh, with cupping your hands and, and beating on them. So it's just things like that that have advanced. More of the medications, besides the trichafta, was the big breakthrough. 
but there's other medications that help along as far as the digestive part of it is that so the kids can and individuals can gain weight to more of a normalcy you know and and i think that's really important to to point out because you know you do these things year in year out whether it be cancer research or in my case my family it's it's ms your family it's cystic fibrosis and you wonder are we doing any good here well clearly um we are doing some good here Exactly. You know, year after year, and, and it's hard to look back that it's been 19 years already, but in the 19 years, there's just been tremendous strides uh, with the cystic fibrosis and, and the research that's went into it. So we can see that we're doing some good, and I said, until there's a cure, I'm going to keep doing this tournament. And I know we, uh, we've talked about this before in the past as well. This is a this is a hereditary disease, but not necessarily one that uh, the people who pass it on have? The uh, mother and father both have to be have a defective gene. that They have to be a carrier. So just one of the parents cannot pass it on. It actually takes both parents with that defective gene. However, there's no way of knowing uh, by looking at someone that you, that you know they're a carrier. However, again, with the new technology and the new research that's went on, now there is a test that can be done on each parent prior to even getting married that know if you're a carrier of that defective gene. So that part of it has also changed. Um, the child can be even checked when it's in the womb yet as far as if there's a possibility that it may have it. It's not a for sure thing either. You can have both parents that have that defective gene. It can pass from generation to generation there's only a 25% chance that the child will have cystic fibrosis, a 50% chance they'll be a carrier like mom and dad, and 25% chance perfectly normal, no defective gene at all. So it's kind of a complicated thing, but nowadays with the new blood tests and so forth, it can be detected, detected a lot earlier than it was back, uh, you know, 35, 40 years ago. Okay. Uh, it's the Cystic Fibrosis uh, Walleye Classic. It's coming up October 3rd. You know, uh, Steve, not only are you helping a great cause, but you are getting some October fishing in, and that could be, and often is, some of the best fishing of the entire year. Absolutely. Uh, the guys will be out there. We have some decent weather, even if we don't. The guys are dedicated to that fishing, and a lot of them say, we're putting the boat away after this. We've got hunting to do. We're getting ready for deer hunting, but... You know, this is our last shot. We're going to give it all we got. And, yeah, some of the bigger fish are caught. Walleye fishing is some of the excellent, uh, best fishing that time of year. So what is the cost to get into the tournament, and what is the prize structure? It's a $300 entry fee per boat, and the payout, we pay out up to 20 places, and that's based on 70 teams. Uh, It starts out with a $2,000 payout for first and then reduces down from that. We make it interesting that after that 20th place, we also pay out a 30th place uh, of $500. So we kind of skip 21st through 29th, but just to make it interesting, uh, the 30th place pays out $500. And still plenty of time to get registered and plenty of opportunities. Uh, How many boats max can you have in the tournament? I'm licensed with DNR on my permit for 70 boats. Uh, Like I said, right now we have 30. But that's kind of normal uh, for our area. It seems like that last two weeks, the guys really start signing up. Uh, in fact, a lot of them sign up the day of the tournament. So if we're not full, you still can sign up uh, 
day before the tournament or that morning if you just let us know. And again, uh, what's the website? CysticFibrosisWalleyeClassic.com. And you can get registered right there online, or you can go into, what is it in Cass Lake? Uh, M&D Pond is a bait shop and a pond shop in, right on the main drag in Cass Lake. They have entries there also. All right. 19th Annual Cystic Fibrosis Walleye Classic. Great event and a great cause. And if you are looking for one final fishing hurrah, it's a great way to do it on a, a lake that's been noted to have a lot of walleyes on it. And it's been a pretty good year for fishing on Cass Lake as well. Steve Ballou heads it up. Steve, thank you for taking the time today. We always appreciate it. Thank you very much. Again, that is coming up next Saturday, October 3rd, on Cass Lake headquartered at Stony Point Resort. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. We're checking back in now with John Williams. He's the Minnesota DNR Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager. You know, it's interesting about hunting. I, when I talk to my friend Matt Brewer, who hunts just about everything, he's, he's bringing up animals I had no idea there were hunting seasons for. How many hunting seasons are there in the state of Minnesota? <laughs> oh, Do you goodness. even know? <laughs> not off, not off, not that getting out of a sheet and started going through them, you know. Yeah, that, that many. <laughs> you know, I, I, one of them, one of the ones that uh, uh, that will be opening up this season, or I mean this this Saturday, is one I kind of like to think of as a heritage hunt. You know, it's it's uh, pretty small in nature. Maybe you don't hear a lot about it, but it's a prairie chicken hunt that occurs basically in the western area of the state. And, um, you know, we don't have a lot of permits that we issue for that. And the, the take is usually, you know, uh, in that 100 or less range or something like that. And um, it's just a, a special hunt, you know, that is kind of focused largely in the northwest part of the, the state. And, and uh, uh, it's a unique hunt. It's a, like I say, it's more of a heritage hunt where uh, traditional and, and um, was was uh, something that was more common in the past and, we're able to have just a, a reunion of it or a revival of it just a little bit in more common days here. But how many hunting seasons? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, my my mind goes back to that Elmer Fudd cartoon. Or Bugs <laughs> <laughs> Bunny. Or no, where Elmer Fudd asked, I think, Daffy Duck, what season is it really? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are, yeah, you got, we got plenty of wildlife, that's for sure. Um, so we, we talked about a couple of them. What other hunting seasons are, or key hunting seasons are open now or will be opening soon? Well, of course, um, you know, let's start off with, uh, the first season we had, which is, this is a first for that as well. We started with elk season back in the, the latter part of August. Mm, okay. And, uh, elk seasons this year, there are six separate times that, uh, we have a season open for elk. And uh, we've actually done very well on the first two seasons. Uh, they were 100% successful with everyone filling their tags. And we had, um, I think, 16 tags for that uh, first two seasons. And as usual, a very nice cadre of elk uh, that we have with our bulls being just outstanding. I mean, I, I, I say that every year, but it's just a fact. And we do have world-class elk. They're all in the Northwest. Um, and uh, uh, that was the first season, uh, late August. Then we have bear that starts September 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, early goose season. Right now, uh, starting last Saturday, we have archery deer season. We have uh, grouse season uh, in place. Um, basically everything except just a couple of things that will open up this weekend, which is uh, prairie chicken I mentioned and waterfowl. And those are the big ones that are typically uh, a big draw for our small game hunters. And then later in uh, 
the last part of, or not the last part of September, but the basically uh, October, we have pheasant coming up on the October 10th, and then fall turkey season starts October 3rd. So that's kind of the rundown of what's in and, and what will be coming in. Okay. I would think that, and, and I talked to, you know, Scott Anderson a lot with of, with Ducks Unlimited. Uh, clearly with the waterfowl, that's more of a tricky thing. That's because it's not, you, you have numbers and you have the things that you do here in Minnesota, but you're dependent on basically an international effort uh, because those those uh, waterfowl are going back and forth from not only state to state but country to country. Yep, that's right. You know, uh, we definitely have uh, the need to coordinate with Canada and Mexico and, and further down south as well. Um, and it's been that way and recognized ever since the early 1900s. You know, we've had some of those laws that uh, have required that type of coordination and um, conservation in terms of our season management and all of these things. So very much so. And, you know, uh, it's also one of the one of the seasons that has such a variety of game in terms of what you can take from, you know, certain species of ducks to geese and, and uh, even some of the more odd ones that uh, um, you can think of. You ask, you know, what other kind of seasons might we have? Well, you know, there's snipe season, and I'm not talking the kind you hunt with a burlap bag at night either. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a regular Wilson snipe season, and there's rail and, and other things that are migratory that, are also regulated by that too. Okay, um, and I know that uh, the the number of uh, birds that can be shot varies from state to state. What makes those changes? Do you, uh, in layman's terms, can you can you explain that to me? Well, basically, there are flyways that we have, and you've probably heard of them: mm-hmm. the Atlantic, the Mississippi, the Central, and the Pacific. You know, and each of them has certain regulations that they set based upon you know, the conditions of breeding and stuff like that. So um, we're basically looking at population numbers uh, for what they are. We also uh, look at what has been harvested as a uh, as a means of just understanding the trends and stuff like that. A lot of the banding effort that is done uh, is based upon band recovery, and then that also gives you a, a sense of population abundance or, or scarcity again. But uh, those type of decisions are the ones that influence the, the type of uh, game or number of birds you can have in your bag. For a long time now, it's been basically six ducks in a bag. But the composition of the bag has changed from time to time. And there's a little bit of change this year that I think hunters should be aware of as they uh, begin the season. And, you know, one of the biggest ones, I think, involves with scop. Scop's a diving duck, and traditionally there's been a great abundance of them. Well, that's not been the case uh, in more recent years. And this year, um, surprisingly, even to me, it says only one scot may be taken between now when the season opens and then October 22nd. And after that, um, only two stop uh, per day can be taken. And, you know, there was times, if you go back far enough, and you know, back in the 70s and some of those areas when there was an abundance, there was a special limit on scot where you could kill uh, quite a few more. Recently, uh, you know, it's been... Three, well, that was kind of the first restriction from what it had been for just, you know, a number of birds you can have in your bag. And now this year we've seen um, significantly reduction in that. So that species, you know, is one that is uh, requiring a little bit more uh, conservation efforts in terms of its harvest. Other birds, you know, um, teal or something like that, they, they still have the ability to take a full limit of them up to six birds a day. Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, archery season getting started soon for deer. 
Um, what do the deer populations look like in northwest Minnesota this year? I would say largely um, pretty much unchanged from last year. I would say if um, we see anything, there might hunters might see or notice a few more. In terms of our season structure in the region, we've basically kept things about the same as last year as far as permit areas and what you can take for the type and number of deer in them. We we had about five areas, uh, five deer permit areas that increased in their, their liberalness and maybe three that were decreased towards a more conservative figure. But largely, um, you know, much of the much of the Northwest is in that managed uh, or intensive area. Uh, when you get a little bit above Red Lake, you do get into the lottery area a little bit. And uh, we've actually modified some of the deer permit area boundaries in that area to more reflect where deer are abundant and where there's uh, less of them in the more wooded areas of, uh, of that part of the state, too. How has uh, chronic wasting disease been going? Has it been expanding? Have we been able to keep it uh, localized? You know, um, mm-hmm. it's a genie that's got a couple of hands out of the, out of the <laughs> vase, and we're trying to trying to keep them back in the lamp. Um, we've not been successful, and neither has any other state, as far as eliminating chronic wasting disease. I think the total number of positive deer that we've had in the state is about 88, as I recall. Uh, and, you know, people will say, well, gee whiz, that's not so much. Well, the, the possibility of that expanding and, and getting out of control is what we're very much concerned with. We have about um, three new areas this year where we're either doing surveillance or actual, uh, you know, wanting to see what we got for, for that. Uh, I'll name them here. Basically, there's the one in the um, uh, south metro area, that, that Dakota County. There's the Douglas County over a uh, more uh, southern part of our region uh, getting over towards that area there. Uh, and then there's another one up in Connecticut County where we've had positive deer in Servid Farm as well. So those are kind of the new areas. Uh, we're, two of those were associated with the Servid Farms, the, the Douglas and the Connecticut County area were. And then the one in the um, uh, metro area, South Metro, was a wild deer that was found. And uh, in that area there, we're, we're doing more, uh, we're looking for more samples to come from that area. CWD has changed this year in terms of how we're doing that, and maybe I can talk about that in a bit. But in terms of the disease, it is an all-hands-on-deck-for-us uh, issue. It's very serious in our minds, and we are really putting a lot of effort into uh, doing our best to eliminate it where, we can, where it's been found, and we're monitoring it so that we don't have something flare up that we're not seeing early in the stages. That's the key to this. And, you know, back in the TV days when we were doing that in the Northwest, the whole key was to get ahead of the program to where it, it doesn't get ahead of you. And uh, CWD is, right now, it's still um, the number that we're finding is, is increasing year by year. Yeah, and as you noted, uh, it doesn't seem like that big of a number, but as we found out in 2020, uh, diseases can travel really fast. Oh, boy, did we ever. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, that that is even having a big effect on the way we're sampling deer for CWD. In the past, you know, we've run check stations where our staff are there and we're uh, being able to interface with hunters. Hunters are bringing their deer in. We're taking the biologic samples, the lymph nodes we need for testing out. It's a good way to communicate with the hunters. It, it's a wonderful way for us to be able to get messages out. And so it's an even better way for us to hear about what the hunters are seeing. And, you know, that's that's been a real blessing from that standpoint, even though the, 
purposes, something we would rather not be doing because we don't want mm-hmm. the uh, disease to be here. This year, because of the COVID concerns, you know, we it's not going to be possible for us to maintain a social distancing if hunters are coming in and, and congregating. So all of the um, efforts that we're doing this year are voluntary, and we're basically going to have uh, uh, headbox collection stations that people can bring their heads in, drop them off, leave you know, recording information about where they've taken it and such that we normally would gather otherwise. But we are trying to uh, manage the concerns about COVID uh, with our sampling stations, too. We're not at all letting up on the gas in terms of uh, trying to attack the CWD issue in our state, but we are trying to be very responsible in terms of our COVID issue as well. Okay. You mentioned something about, uh, is that what you were referring to earlier when you said uh, changing the way we handled CWD this year? Yeah, that was it. You know, yeah. we, you know, had that, had that good social interaction with our hunters and we're just not going to have that this year, I think. So, you know, basically instead of us all, you know, dressing up and hoping for good weather and, you know, dressing in case it's 20 below and snowing, uh, we're all going to be in a, a situation where we have about three jobs. There'll be the people that will go to the um, head collection boxes, and they'll be uh, checking on those uh, periodically, uh, sometimes two or three times a day, depending on the season. Um, they'll bring them to a central processing area where people will be extracting the lymph nodes for testing, and then there'll be people that are recording the data. So basically three jobs, and uh, I would say just about every DNR wildlife staff is going to be involved with that at some point during the during the season. All right. Anything else you want to make sure we uh, we – Chat about before we wrap it up today. Oh, um, no, I would say, you know, the COVID situation has certainly impacted the way we do business this year. There was a lot about uh, the timing of that that impacted our ability to do grouse uh, drumming counts and a few other normal surveys we did. We finally got into some of that at the very tail end. Um, This has been a very difficult year for us, and, of course, we're not unique in that. The entire state and the entire nation, even the world, has been in that boat where we're trying to come up with a new normal. So I do believe that, you know, this is going to have a lasting impact in terms of, uh, you know, some of the ways we conduct our business. You know, uh, one of the things you can chuckle at, I haven't inked a uh, signature (laughs) for any type of payment or anything like that at all since about March. Everything has been digitally signed, and, all from home. You know, we are still working from home, and the uh, forecast for that is to continue at least through probably New Year's. So it's a very different uh, thing. We're not even having the, the normal camaraderie we'd have with our own staff, and uh, that's, a, that's a hard thing as well. So it's just uh, part of us doing our part to, to uh, manage within the governor's and the CDC's recommendation upon how we do business and impacts us, and I think it's really going to change us in general or how we do things in the future, too. And I don't know exactly what that's going to look like just yet. Well, I, uh, I, I, for your sake and everybody in your office's sake, I hope you guys get back into the office. It's, a, it's certainly something that is missed when when a team doesn't get to work together face-to-face that often. So I, I think there's a lot of people in a lot of businesses, ours too. Some of us are here in the station, but not everybody. Uh, so uh, I think that's why I think people are dying to get outdoors and do something. And, uh, and obviously we hope that those who are exposed to the outdoors this year, maybe for the first or second time, uh, love it enough to be back next year and the year after and uh, decades to come. You know, that's one of the blessings of being a Minnesotan. We have some of the best natural resources in the land and most of us are not that far away from them. And, uh, what better time than this very week 
uh, with all the beautiful leaf uh, colors that we have and the, the moderate temperatures to be out there and enjoying a, a good day, a walk in the woods, a time in the boat or a time in the time in the blind. What a wonderful time of year. Absolutely. John Williams is the Northwest Regional Wildlife Manager out of the Northwest Regional Office here in Bemidji, uh, doing a little preview of the upcoming fall seasons and uh, recapping the turkey season. We will be talking to him, I'm sure, just down the road as we get closer to the biggest hunting season of them all, firearm deer season. Uh, John, thanks for taking some time today. We really appreciate it and uh, hope you have a great fall. Same here, Kevin. Enjoyed talking with you on this and uh, appreciate being able to share some of these thoughts on the air. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining me today. That's it for this week. Join me again next week as we delve into the outdoors once again. It's Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by Timberline Sport and Convenience, Pepsi and I Bottling, Bonded Lock and Key, and DS Beverages. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A dual operator skin. Man, I love operator skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents, 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 23.